We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show with accomplished chess players, authors, personalities, and adult improvers where they discuss their lives, their careers, and share tips about how to improve at chess. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another bonus World Championship Edition pod of Perpetual Chess. This is possibly the last bonus edition as Magnus is now within striking distance of ending this match early. I'm recording this on Wednesday, December 8th. Round 10 has just concluded. They drew today fairly bloodlessly after a win for Magnus yesterday. So Magnus now leads by a score of six and a half to three and a half. He needs just one more point for the match to end. Of course, that could come in the form of a win on Friday um, or two more draws in any of the four remaining scheduled games. If Magnus gets to seven and a half points, the match will be ended right there. More on the game shortly, but I wanted to tell you what we have coming in this bonus pod. We've got two great interviews coming your way. Number one is with world-class trainer and author, Grandmaster Jakob Agard of KillerChessTraining.com. Jakob, among many other distinctions, is the trainer and frequent collaborator of former U.S. champion Grandmaster Sam Shanklin. Um, Regular listeners may remember that I read Jakob's preview or prediction for the match in my preview with Ty Bruce Zimmerman. Uh, Jakob's assessment proved to be quite prescient, so I thought it'd be fun to invite him on and talk about what he has seen. Jakob does talk about what he's seen in the match, but he also talks about potential changes to the format of the world championship. Um, he feels that even though we saw a string of decisive results here at the end, he still thinks uh, the issue of uh, players being disincentivized to play fighting chess in uh, tied classical matches is an issue to watch going forward and that some changes might still be in order. Jakob also um, correctly expresses some dissatisfaction about sort of uh, choices of countries where these events um, often are staged. So you won't want to miss uh, this interview with the esteemed Grandmaster Jakob Agard. After that, I'm joined by Sean McCoy of Chess.com. Sean normally is the director of 
support by day he is, but he's in Dubai helping out as needed. It's his third world championship attended. So it was fun to hear that perspective. And I was especially interested to hear what it was like to be on, on site for that epic, historic eight hour game six. Um, my interview with Jakob Agard was recorded on Tuesday after Game 9. The interview with Sean was recorded on Sunday after Game 8. As always, the timestamps for the interviews are in the show notes, so feel free to skip right to the interviews, but I'm now going to spend a couple minutes catching up anyone who needs it on the recent games in the match and the overall match landscape. Um, so here we go. In Game 9, Nepo finally um, avoided double king pawn. Uh, he had the white pieces and began with the English opening. And Magnus went with a kind of an uncommon opening setup fairly early in the game. They ended up in uncharted waters by move 10. They were in a position that's basically not been seen at the Super Grandmaster level. Um, Nepo got a tiny edge in an unbalanced position as white. And then he actually went up upon in a rook and minor piece endgame due to what later Mag Magnus later described as a move he missed in 24 queen e1, where he felt he had to go to this endgame down a pawn. But the engines still weren't really sounding alarm for Magnus. They showed a small edge for white. It was unclear if Nepo was going to be able to keep the extra pawn, but Magnus had decent piece activity in any event. But then a few moves later, Nepo made another unfortunate blunder, um, continuing on what had happened uh, in the previous game. So he allowed his bishop to be trapped due to a fairly basic oversight. Magnus was visibly surprised by this, but he took care of business impressively, Magnus did, one uh, in rather clinical fashion with the extra piece and thereby took a commanding three-point lead. Uh, game 10, today as I record, um, Magnus had white, he played e4 again, and somewhat surprisingly, Nepo stuck with the Petrov defense, which of course has an extremely solid slash drawish reputation. After all, it's a very symmetrical opening. So Queens came off the board early. Uh, Magnus seemed content to get half a point closer to clinching uh, the title, retaining the title, and Nepo seemed happy to regroup uh, heading into the rest day, and presumably he'll come out fighting in the remaining games starting Friday. So overall, obviously now Magnus is an overwhelming favorite to retain his title, um, over 99% odds according to Chess by the Numbers model. Um, it's been tough to watch as times as Jan has now had two major blunders and he's struggling to put his best foot forward. Uh, the self-doubt that can creep in is extremely relatable for all, for all chess players, I think. Um, and it should be noted that Jan has been a class act at the press conference in tough circumstances. Um, to me, there's there's something unique about watching a blowout in a chess world championship um, or to watch someone uh, struggle to, to play their best in, uh, on, on this stage where the pain and the empathy, I feel, is is greater than in any other circumstances. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a sports fan and imagining seeing like a, a team get swept in the NBA finals or like a high stakes blowout in the World Cup final um, or the Super Bowl, like th those things to me just don't relate. They don't measure up to the pain you feel watching someone make an uncharacteristic mistake in a chess game. So uh, shout out to Nepo. Keep your head up. He's still an amazing creative player, an absolute genius of the game. And even if he doesn't manage to bounce back in these subsequent games, I think that uh, in future tournaments, obviously, he'll he'll be back to um, to the chess that we're, that we're used to seeing. Um, and of course, we also shouldn't lose sight of the fact that Magnus obviously deserves credit for um, for putting the pressure on his opponents. I mean, he makes so few mistakes that it's got to be uh, quite daunting playing against him, to say the least. And of course, as I alluded to in one of the previews, um, Magnus, um, he mentioned before the match that um, he said, and I quote, Jan rarely plays well after having lost. So Magnus was curious to see if he did manage to score one win, what would happen there. And the sort of implication was that Magnus, he's been down in world championship matches, spends a lot of time working and thinking about the mental game. So obviously uh, anything, you know, this match could have gone very differently if you change a few moves along the way, as is always the case with chess. Um, so we'll never know how others might have responded given adversity, but um, certainly something that 
at least that Magnus touted as a possibility and that we've now seen play out in the match. Um, so we'll see what happens in the remaining games. So that's the rundown. If there's another rest day, we'll be back with another bonus pod. Either way, we'll have one more World Championship matchup when the match is over. I'm planning to interview the top Dutch player and trainer Grandmaster Erwin Lemie about his thoughts on the match. Erwin, in addition to being a chessable author, is the head trainer of Grandmaster Anish Giri. He's a leading opening theoretician. He's been sharing his thoughts during the match on Twitter, and I found him to be quite insightful, not surprised. Surprisingly, also having interviewed him before. Um, so it'll be fun to hear his thoughts on the opening chosen and the overall sort of historical perspective of this world championship. So on that note, we'll get you guys to the interview, starting with Grandmaster Jakob Agard, recorded on Tuesday, December 7th, followed by Sean McCoy, recorded on Sunday, December 5th. So thanks for listening, everyone, and we will catch you all soon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are here with our esteemed guest and friend of the pod. He's an award-winning author, co-founder of Quality Chess. He's also the founder of Killer Chess Training, which features himself, Grandmaster Sam Sam Shanklin, and a team of highly respected trainers. We are recording after Game 9, where Magnus has now taken an even more commanding 6-3 to lead. And I reached out to our guest, GM Jakob Agard, to see if he could uh, expound on what he wrote prior to the match. Uh, Those of you who heard my interview with Ty Proust Zimmerman may have heard a quote I read from Jakob uh, with his assessment of the match going in. I'll just reread it quickly, which is, and these are his words prior to the match. He said, I believe Carlson will retain the world championship in less than 14 games, most likely 13. Napomnici has won against Carlson in situations where Carlson overpressed, but he has no reason to do so here. Also seeing Napomnici win games the way he won in the candidates, I find unlikely. The level is much higher in the match. Most importantly, Napomnici always finishes badly. He wears out. He has lost weight and probably gained stamina, but it may not be enough this time. Carlson does have weaknesses. He can lose focus and be arrogant, but he's matured a lot and seems much wiser than he was. He no longer believes it's a divine right for him to win. In 2014, he lost a game where he did not review his files. In 2018, I believe he mixed up the move order. I do believe that his biggest weakness is straight out of the opening. And basically, a lot of that has played out. So, Jakob, uh, what... What is there anything that has surprised you about the match? And and thank you for doing this, of course. Uh, no, uh, I think. Well, first of all, I think my 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 prediction is maybe uh, inferior to what it was in 2016. Um, but there, of course, it wasn't made in public. It was just made in in private to uh, my good friend Alexander Mochilev, who was one of the coaches of Kayakin's uh, team, where I said that. Uh, Kayakin, he should just defend, and then Carlson, he would think it was his divine right to uh, to just win the match. And when that didn't happen, uh, he would get frustrated and overpress, and Kayakin would get a chance. But then suddenly there would be a different Carlson, one willing to take risk and and go for it, and then probably would end in a in a playoff. And then they should have a, a whole new strategy ready for a playoff. And uh, and that was entirely correct, as uh, Mustafa he also later uh, uh, wrote to me and said. The only problem was that Kayakin he thought before the match, if I reach the playoff, it's such a huge achievement that you know no reason to worry about that now. And then suddenly he's in a playoff and has no trumps uh, up his sleeves, and, and that was a, a big regret there. But this time here, I I just think that compared to Kayakin and Kawana, then Nepomniachi is just too unstable. And normally I haven't been very impressed with Carlson's uh, strategic uh, preparation for the matches. His, his preparation is usually based on openings, mainly for black. And the idea of the team is our player is the best player in the world, which is, is absolutely true. And if we just do good work, we will win the match. But this idea of not having a narrative to how you win the match, 
Um, I think that has been a very, very big minus for him in the last two matches. But this time, the narrative of how you win the match is very easy. You you wait for uh, Nepomniachtchi to to make some sort of uh, yeah uh, substandard uh, move at some point, and then you strike. And and this is what happened in in both game eight and game nine. Um, yeah, now now I don't remember the win in game six. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah, so, uh, I'll never. <laughs> I'll never forget game six, but one question I have for you. Oh, game is... six was the long end game. Yeah, that was also just yeah. wearing him out. It's just yeah. a standard strategy. Uh, so, yeah. No, I... I yeah, and he... I, it, it, I, I want to say this is not only my my analysis. This is to... Uh, you mentioned Sam Shanglen as as one of the coaches of, of Kiltia Street. He's one of the owners as well. And, and I work closely with him all the time. And the prediction is in part... Uh, his, it's, it's he said it, and I saw that he was right. And you asked, and then I repeated it. So um, I'll take minimum uh, credit this time. I think. Well, thanks for you both. Thanks to you both for your insights. Now I have to ask Jakob. I mean, it's amazing how quickly things have changed after Game Five. We had the full-on death of classical chess narrative going strong um, because it was just draw after draw, and Nepo seemed to be showing pretty good form, excellent preparation. Did you have doubts about sort of what you had expected, or did you feel like this is going according to what I expected? Because all along you felt like it was going to be a, a battle of endurance. No, I, I, I thought. Uh... First of all, it's it's. I think this. Uh, I think the result is a is a disaster for chess because I worry now that uh, there will not be taken action to uh, to deal with the uh, with with the match system, which is as as is now is broken. Um, we have a a big problem with the world championship that uh, you know they move it around the world, but the money come out of Russia. Um, we don't have international sport uh, sponsorship. Uh, we're not um, we're not in a strong foundation. We're reliant on uh, on what maybe two or three um, countries which want to be seen to be buying goodwill around the world with these kind of things and um, are often criticized for, for the way they run internally. I think like Azerbaijan and, uh, and, and Russia and also Iran is a recent sponsor of uh, the Women's World Championship. And, and you have other countries which um, is maybe not where you commonly want to associate your sport with, let's say Saudi Arabia. Um, now I'm, I'm a big fan of chess and Formula One, so uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> I uh, uh, I, I, fi I find these things uh, um, complicated normally because it's not necessarily bad for the people of Saudi Arabia that Formula One comes to Saudi Arabia or that chess comes to Saudi Arabia. Um, and the same thing with uh, with, with chess uh, and Russia and Azerbaijan and so on. I think the, the whole way of interacting with the international world is um, it's maybe a good thing. But I think for the sport of chess, um, we're now in, entirely run, uh, you know, the on on a, on a feeder level, run by by Russian money, and and we had the World Cup in Russia, which was moved from another country. We're going to have the um, the Olympiad in Russia. We had the the money for the World Championship, are mainly coming from Russia. Um, so I, I think uh, with the way that the match now, you know, you can sort of say that, oh, no, it was fine after all. Um, but it wasn't. Uh, it, it, was, it was awful. And then uh, one of the guys cracked. And uh, maybe next time if we have, uh, likely we have a better... Uh, challenger, we have Firusha, Kawana, um, maybe Wesley So. Um, then I think we will have a a much more interesting match. But you you can do all the improvement of the systems uh, uh, anyway, and and they're not 
they're not uh, difficult. You can have the prologue, which has been talked about for a decade now, which is having uh, the playoff before the match. You just call it the prologue. And then you you go into every game, classical game, um, with a, a match that's not tied. Um, and then you, uh, <laughs> you you don't have this uh, risk aversion. And it's not just the, the World Championship. We saw it uh, last time around, the, the FIDA organized the Grand Prix with these uh, knockout tournaments. There were so many draws in classical chess. And then people will, will, will try to go for, you know, win, win on some blunder in, in Blitz or Rapid. And for me, it's uh, I have nothing against Blitz, nothing against Rapid. Uh, I'm nothing against Blitz World Championship. I'm nothing against Rapid World Championship. Uh, I like both. And I also like the Classical World Championship. Um, and the idea that somehow you have to mess a Rapid into it, uh, I don't understand it. Um, I can understand that it uh, benefits some player, while for other players it would be a huge minus. Um, but this idea that uh, Carlson has has talked about sometimes that this should be more rapid in the World Ch Championships, I, I don't see the point to it. Um, except that that he would probably benefit uh, immensely because uh, in rapid he's uh, much stronger than everyone, only followed by So and Nakamura. And uh, they cannot keep up in classical. And in classical, he's much stronger uh, than uh, So and Nakamura, but but not necessarily uh, Kawana, Diglia, and uh, Firusha. So um, I, I, I would also say one thing, which is which is really uh, important to understand that it is very unlikely that the Nipomniachtchi would have qualified for this match if the tournament hadn't been broken into two. Yeah, Magnus himself said that. So raised that as a possibility prior to the match. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, it, it it it's not for nothing that he uh, he lost the last game in both uh, both uh, halves of the the candidates. The idea that somehow he would have gone on to be strong in in around eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen uh, played after losing round seven. I'm just not. I'm not so sure. Uh, but of course, he could have won. He was leading. But uh, yeah, no, there was. Uh, it was. It was definitely uh, playing to his advantages, which were small tournaments, short ones. Yeah, it's interesting uh, from a psychological perspective that you know that that criticism has been raised about his game and he had all this time to prepare for the world championship but still when when the bright lights are shining it's hard oh, to but uh, it, it's uh, it's not just physical stamina because of course he tried and I also mentioned that in my quote that I saw that he he did something but I don't think that's enough the famous um, example I want to put forward is uh, Topalov Kramnik, where Topalov uh, believed that if he just played the game on and on and on every day, then the the, the slightly choppy smoker uh, sitting across for him uh, would collapse. While in reality, in uh, in the long games, uh, it was it was Topalov who was struggling most, even though he was was incredibly fed. A mental stamina is not necessarily physical stamina. Of course, physical stamina helps. Um, but there has been so many occasions in chess history where uh, players, chess players, they have focused on the physical uh, over the actual chess um, and haven't been rewarded for it. Uh, the most famous example is uh, Spassky against Fischer. Karpov showing up to the training camp and they're playing tennis all the time. Where this is not not uh, how you improve. We, we have plenty of... Um, of strong players in history who, who weren't very uh, athletic. And we have plenty of athletic players in history who were not, you know, getting to the top of their, uh, their chess ability. Uh, of American players, you can think of uh, Alexander Onischuk, who is, um, in, in physical terms, is 
like <laughs> you, you yeah. know, I think he does Iron Man uh, like for for fun, uh, and he's he's my age. Um, but for chess, he, he he never quite made it, and he definitely had the potential. Um, so of, of course, it was it was great. You know, I no only respect for for the man. You know, like nothing. But there, there's a lot of people which you and I have a lot of respect for, and much better chess players than we ever were. Where we can still say they, they didn't make top uh, top ten, top twenty, um, because it just requires lots of chess work and uh, and 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 having the the mental stamina to just play and play and play. And with Nepomniachtchi, I I just haven't seen yet this previously, uh, and we haven't seen it here either. Yeah, seeing him struggle as he has in games eight and nine, what really struck me was was that it doesn't happen more often in the World Championship. I mean, it's just the, the pressure is so intense and you know you're playing, as Jonathan Rousen tweeted, you know you're playing the best player in the world. That There's a, like a psychological weight there. Um, so, I mean, to me, it's it's really a, a quite a positive reflection on the likes of uh, Caruana and Karyakin and all the other uh, recent World Championship contenders that, that we don't see this more often. Oh, come on, come on, totally come on. understandable. Uh, if you go back in, uh, in 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 recent history, I can only uh, mention uh, uh, one example of a player who, who who didn't come and thought he had a maybe two, but we have one clear example of a player who came and thought that that he had no business being there. Only one. We, we, you could argue Kayakim. But, but but that's not my example. My example is uh, is uh, a little more controversial. But but everyone knows it's true, which is uh, Anand. When he came to play Carlsen, he, he he felt like Lasker did when he he played Capablanca. It's like why can't I just give you the title? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> um, so it it was uh, he was uh, past his his prime. Of course, he's still incredibly strong. Um, but a top 20 player and a world champion is a different thing. But everyone else, every other match that's been there, everyone went there with the, uh, with the belief that they would win, uh, probably. And the only thing you could talk about is maybe Kayakin uh, didn't believe it. Um, but Kawana came to win. Yeah. And, and yeah, he didn't think he was favorite. Gelfan, he went to win against uh, Anand, and he was leading. And he could have, uh, was it game nine he could have won or game 10? Uh, game nine he could have won, I think. Where uh, if he had won that, he would have won the title. Um, Topalov obviously tried to beat Anand. Kramnik tried to beat Anand. Anand tried to beat Topalov and Kramnik and did so. Um, and then, okay, Adams didn't believe he would win in, in St. Louis. But uh, in 2005, there were eight players. There was no doubt also some players in Mexico he didn't come to win. but Yeah, once we're talking about tournaments, it's a little it's, bit it's different. It's a different thing, but with matches. Um, yeah. Here, Nepomniachtchi came with the hope that, that maybe something could happen. And he was met with the strategy that was worse for him, uh, which was nothing's happening. Uh, Magnus is taking no risks, and then he's just not stable enough. But that strategy wouldn't work against Kawana. It didn't work against Ka uh, Kayakin. Um, but we do have a number of players now in, in the world elite who really are very risk averse. Uh, especially we have uh, two American players, which is Dominguez and Wesley So. Incredibly risk averse um, players. And I think we, as a, we have to look at our tournaments and see which tournaments really work and which don't. And the tournament that works better than all the rest is the candidates' tournament. Even the players who have nothing left to play for uh, still fight because they came with the attitude of fighting. They're prepared to fight, and then you just fight the whole way through. Um, but the match system here, it's a dud. It was a, yeah, well, it's a dud a long time well, ago. Kind of <laughs> so. I kind of want to end on that. I mean, I, I, before we go, I want you to expound on that because I, I remember on Facebook, you, you expressed your dissatisfaction with the format, uh, even as you say, before these decisive results. Um, and also, I just wanted to quickly mention that I do commend what you said about the human rights abuses in, in, um, in the UAE. And uh, I, I do hope that we can find uh, better 
better sites in the future. But getting to the I, format I want of to the say, map, I want to say that I'm planning one time in the future to uh, uh, to live in UAE uh, to use it because they have an airport where you could go everywhere. So I want to take a Sabbath year, live there, and then fly everywhere in the world. Uh, so I'm not going to be, you know, I don't want to be uh, open to uh, be accused of hypocrisy later. I'm just saying we're very reliant on money from very few sources uh, who want to buy credibility. And UAE actually didn't really sponsor this match. They are they are hosting it. The, 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 the prize fund comes from Russia, as far as I understand. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And, and, and we're very reliant on... on single source of, of, of funding and have been for a long time. And of course, I want to commend my uh, uh, my friend and one of the greatest benefactors chess has ever seen, uh, which is Akadi Dvorkovic, who does all his work for the love of chess. He really does. Um, anyone who have, uh, have worked with him have experienced uh, how he is trying to be fair, just, honest, and uh, and function in a world and a chess world which is not always uh, rewarding uh, the most um, the most heroic uh, actions, you know, the most most moral uh, moral actions. Um, so I, I want to want to say this. So um, FIDA has structural problems. Uh, countries of whatever, 20 members have the same vote as countries of 150,000 players, um, which creates a situation which uh, the whole politics is skewed. But Dvorkovic could have been doing many things that are much more prestigious than chess. And he chose chess because he wants to do it for, for, for us and for the game. And, and we should appreciate that. Um, but I do think we should make the match more interesting. And, and we can do this in many different ways. Uh, we can do it by uh, returning to uh, the, the the winner, the champion keeps uh, the title uh, in case of uh, of a draw, but then give the challenger an extra white game. Um, we can choose to have a draw of lots of who gets draws, and then the other one gets the... Uh, the white game. You could also choose to say that the the champion is entering so late he already has an advantage. Give the challenger draw out, or you could have a prologue. I, I honestly don't really mind. I think that we have so much evidence now that if a match is tied, uh, the players are not believing that taking risks are rewarded, and they might be right. And if there's a structural problem with our tournament, we should change it. And we know from soccer, I know you're American and maybe don't know the history of soccer very well, but we had problems um, and we still have structural problems with uh, the big uh, soccer championships, the European Championship and the World Championship. Um, and the structure, uh, structural problem is that the matches towards the end of the tournament, very often go towards nil-nil results. And then uh, they end in, in extra time, which is just uh, running around and, and doing nothing, and then end in penalty shootouts. And it becomes too long, and it's uh, you get this strange feeling and so on. And they tried some, uh, some things to change it. So it's, uh, after uh, 1992, they prohibited... Uh, the playing back to the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper taking the ball up in his hands. Previously, it was not uh, a problem, but after uh, two Danish players were injured in a match between Denmark and the Netherlands, uh, the Danish defense just played the ball back to Peter Schmeichel, and Peter Schmeichel threw it out to the Danish defense, who then played it back to the Peter Schmeichel, and that was sort of an hour of everybody's life watching it, and then went to penalty shootout, and they prohibited that. And nobody ever cared for it coming back. So that stood. They also made a rule that was called the golden goal, which means that if in extra time you score a goal, you immediately win the match. That then happened in the game between, Den uh, between Germany and the Czech Republic 
in the European uh, soccer final of 1996. And the Germans were very happy. And everyone else was just looking at it like, what? It's over? <laughs> you know, what happened? <laughs> kind of thing. Like, like a knockout in, uh, in boxing in the, in the first round, where it's like, what, what, what happened? <laughs> and then they made silver goal, which means that, okay, the, you have the rest of the half to sort of come back. And, and if you equalize, then we continue playing. And, and that quickly went away. And they're back to, to where they were. But uh, in the debates on Facebook... People forgot about it when they were saying, uh, were bringing up soccer as as an example. They were forgetting that they actually experimented. No lasting damage done to the game. In chess, we can have a prologue, see if it works better next time, World Championship. And and we will not have a big problem. If uh, they decide it didn't really work, don't do it again. It will be fine. And if it works, then, <laughs> you know, the thought that we should have done it earlier which probably should have been 2013. Um, well, at least we did it this time around in, in, in 2023. Yeah, I like the idea. I also like your your idea of uh, draw odds, but with the challenger getting an extra white, um, I'd be... I, I, I don't mind. I, the, re the reason I like both of these ideas is the final game deciding the classical world championship would be a classical game of chess. For me, that matters. It's a, you've seen the movie Seven, I'm sure. I actually haven't. Okay, but anyway, you, you, you sort of can guess there's seven murders. And the, the last murder is somehow, in some way it hurts, in the way that sort of feels like narratively it's, it's a little bit forced, without ruining for, any, for anyone, hopefully. But there is another logic at play, which is a seven. You have to have... You have to have the last one. Otherwise, it's not seven. And the same with Classical World Championship. Now we had, uh, out of the last five, is it? We have three that's decided by uh, by Rapid. Okay, this one makes it 3-3. Three, three, but that's not good, is it? <laughs> so, <laughs> but, it, but anyway, I... I know Feed is going to think about it in February. I know that when I talked to Emil about the the Grand Prix, and I said it had been a, a disappointing a disappointment to have it as a match system, explained why I thought so. He was very defensive of it, but he didn't bring it back. So he, he he's a man who always defends what he does, but also always listens. So uh, I'm I think he's been a very good for for chess. He's been very innovative. Uh, I'm very very happy he's uh, doing the job he's doing. And I'm uh, hoping secretly that uh, he will choose one of these uh, this way of uh, improving the World Championship match. Okay, and, and Jakob, of course, is referring to the Director General of FIDE, Emil Sotovsky, uh, Grandmaster Emil Sotovsky. Um, yeah, and thank you, Jakob, for again for the for the accurate prediction beforehand and for all these insights, both on the match and what we can do better. Um, before we let you go, what do we have to look forward to from Quality Chess? I know you guys got hit by the um, the supply chain issues that are hitting everyone. Yeah, we have a uh, we we printers has no paper. Um, actually, they, they <laughs> found some paper, so there's some reprints happening, um, but they they don't have the specific paper to put covers on the books. Um, so we have a lot of printed books without covers. Uh, we, will, we will publish <laughs> some books in, I think, February and March. We have a, a book by Mickey Adams. Yeah, I'm excited for that written one. together with a guy called Phil Hurtado, uh, which is uh, sort of one of these things where you have exercises and you can think along and then you see players at different level, including Mickey, um, uh, having solved the exercise. Also a few other GMs, uh, Keith Arkell, I'll mention no more names, and I don't insult anyone for, for omitting them. But I, there's a number of other uh, good GMs and IMs uh, who sold, but also a lot of um, regular Joes uh, like, like you and I. Um, so there's that. Then um, also there's uh, the, the Moby Dick um, of chess, which is my six books in one, which is called 
<laughs> what's it what's it called? They call the endless encyclopedia. <laughs> uh, a matter of endgame technique. And people are asking me, why don't you split it into more volumes? It's already split. Because it was supposed <laughs> to be middle game and endgame. And then I had eleven hundred pages draft of, of just endgame. Wow. And and it's essentially six books in one. Um and yeah, it will be out March probably, eight hundred and ninety-six pages. Um it'll be the it'll be quasi chess's uh version of uh, Finnegan's Wake, on, of which Umberto Eco <laughs> said it's the true postmodern masterpiece. The reader is the hero if he can finish it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So I should um, I should say one thing, otherwise I'll be in trouble with my business partners. If you like chess, if you want to get better at chess and you want to spend time with good people, you should go to killchesstrain.com. Um, there's room for uh, everyone. And uh, we have classes every day. We have the best trainers, the best prices, at least we're claiming so. Um, we have a very, very nice uh, environment. And really, it's uh, I do it out of the passion of spending time with, with nice people. And... Uh, Everyone's and listeners, listeners on this podcast can hear the likes of John Hartman and I am Sean Nagel uh, rave about it. So it's it's not just you uh, talking up uh, killer chess training, Jakob. I'm, I'm by the way doing a, a, a re, sort of redoing a camp. It will be new material, but old principles. Uh, the twelve days of bloody Christmas. Um, <laughs> So, which will start the twenty second of uh, December and go until the second of January. It's four hours every day, and if you miss some of the days, you can always watch the recordings later. They will be on on your account on our website for we we guarantee a year. But reality is, we we don't remove them. We just want to avoid getting sued if we have to remove them because something we don't want to risk the house, you know. Uh, gotcha. And this will be online, not not at a Greek island. Correct. Not this time, but uh, we, 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 we're working on it. Uh, Spanish uh, coastal city, Greek islands. We, we want to get back to these things. I, I, I should say this uh, thing, Ben. Uh, these things uh, don't really make a lot of money uh, for us. Um, but we get to spend time with nice people, and we get to do chess, and that's really, really what we, uh, what we love doing. Excellent. And in the in the IRL case, maybe even meet your famous dog, Lucy. Yeah, we can. Can, can we bring Lucy to uh, Spain or something? Yeah, we could try. We could try. All right, we've got it on well, the, the record camp, there. The camps are normally. I I have some. Uh, you know, pre-pandemic, we had camps uh, in Glasgow, uh, Grandmaster camps. Uh, you know, Jeff Rishong, Sam Shanklin, Ayantari, uh, uh, Pragnananda. A lot of uh, very strong grandmasters came here for camps. And in future, yeah, they will have to uh, put up with Lucy uh, if, if they want to come. And, uh, Excellent. All right. Well, Jakob, thank you so much. This has been great. Uh, and um, looking forward to the, um, to the Finnegan's Wake of Chess, among other things. <laughs> thank you very much, Ben. Always a pleasure. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. We are here with another special guest joining, joining us directly from Dubai. He is normally working as the director of support with Chess.com. Of course, he is in Dubai with Chess.com. He used to... Uh, work in mixed martial arts. And now he, he began chess when he's 30. He's worked his way up the ranks um, and uh, making a living from chess, living every club player's dream. And he's here to tell us uh, all about his perspective from Dubai. Sean McCoy, how are you, Sean? Oh, I'm doing great. It's fabulous to be here. 
Yeah, I can only imagine, um, as we've discussed in prior interviews with your roommates, Jonathan Korbla and FM Mike Klein, your roommates over there. So we know that your day job, Sean, is uh, Director of Support with Chess.com. What are your responsibilities over there in Dubai? Uh, well, the good news is I got an English degree as I was going through college, so I'm sort of qualified to be a journalist. But uh, at the moment, I'm sort of a, a glorified grip. I, I carry things from place to place. I get people coffee. I take a few pictures. Yeah, whatever it takes to get over there. I did hear you at one of the press conferences ask a question, though, correct? Yes, absolutely. I've, I've asked some questions and uh, messed with Magnus a little bit. What was the highlight? First of all, let's. how do you feel? Are you like terrified when you step to the mic? I think I might be in your shoes. Um, well, I was actually pretty calm. I, you know, I, I used to do MMA and I wasn't too worried about Magnus getting up and like body slamming me. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah and I guess you, yeah, you've done TED Talks, et cetera. So I guess the, the fear of public speaking that as, as Jerry Seinfeld famously said, people fear more than death itself. Um, you may not have it as much. And yeah, Magnus, you know, they do have a tendency, both Jan and Magnus, if they're not thrilled with the question, they're, they, they're not afraid to say it, but they generally say it in a polite manner. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I've seen them do that a couple of times. And you never know, it's kind of random. Sometimes you'll give them a terrible question and they'll stop for a second, think of something funny and fire back with that instead. But, you know, yeah. So what, shame, what, yeah. any highlights amongst the questions you've gotten a chance to ask, Sean? Um, well, I was really shocked that they, uh, I asked a question about the noise in their room. Um, I had actually heard earlier that they were able to hear some sounds, um, from through the glass. Uh, but we had a, a band go by with like drums and trumpets. It was a huge celebration and they hadn't heard a thing. So I was kind of shocked about that. Yeah, I was actually glad you asked that question because of course I watched the broadcast that day. I hadn't realized it was you that asked that, but I watched the broadcast and yeah, there was like a party going on. I mean, at some points for the broadcast, it was quite loud. So I did find it interesting that the soundproof glass is really doing its job. Yeah. And today there were fireworks or in the last couple of days, because it's been like the 50th anniversary of the United Arab Emirates. Um, so yeah, it's a good, they built that one well. Yeah. And fireworks in more ways than one since we're recording yeah. on Sunday and Magnus just won for the second time. Um, so so normally, as as we said, director of support, and you're just kind of uh, all hands on deck mode over there. Sean, how'd you talk your way in to, du to Dubai, into this trip? I wrote an email to uh, Danny Wrench, and I said, Coach, take me off the bench. It's my time. <laughs> um, but I've also helped, uh, you know, I've been to previous world championships, um, both in London and New York. And in London, I actually did a good amount of help while just being there on vacation. Um, so I, I kind of was... Um, interning for the job beforehand. Excellent. And and uh, we've already gotten this perspective from John MacArthur, uh, who will have, that interview will have aired um, the previous day. But as someone else who's been to the last three world championships, uh, how do you compare them? What, what's, what are the major differences? Uh, well, one of the things that I would say is kind of a negative is that this is part of the exhibition. Um, so the insularity and just the it feeling like the Mecca of chess isn't quite there. Um, but there are a lot of things that are incredibly positive. One, the, the games having decisive results makes it a lot more exciting than London. Um, and there are, um, other things going on. Well, like the, the broadcasting, I think gets better every single time I watch these things. And there's a lot of different broadcasts to choose from. Of course, everyone should choose chess.com, but that, that, uh, <laughs> That panoply of choices, I think, is really good. Yeah, I mean, as I've said before, I'm just staggered by the uh, array of excellent choices. I could could watch any of them and be totally content. Um, so, so in your mind, it's a negative. the The negative of it not being like primarily chess focused over there outweighs any positive from sort of passersby who are just there for the uh, global expo and kind of stumble into the chess. Well, I liked, because uh, we did get people who weren't into chess, um, who had just kind of seen it and wanted to see what it was like in the other locations. Um, but they kind of knew that they were going to it. Uh, we've got people kind of walking by going, what the heck is this? Um, and when you're, and there's less places uh, and less people, I feel like sitting down and doing analyzation and trying to figure out what's going on. And that was, was part of my favorite things at the, at the previous uh, two world championships. Okay. 
Yeah, that makes sense. But I, I'm guessing, nonetheless, you've gathered some highlights while you're there. So, th- so far, what has been the highlight of your trip, Sean? Oh, goodness. Um, well, that last, uh, the, the first game that Magnus won was insane. Um, just watching that was an absolute uh, fabulous thing. There's, there's also a moment when you're in the playing hall and everyone's kind of looking at their phone and looking at the screen and looking at the players. And then someone makes an unexpected move. And then there's this kind of inhalation of breath. The the playing hall this time is larger than that the previous two. So that effect was uh, was pretty epic. So that's a highlight. But then we've also had uh, just a blast, you know, running the booth, um, doing blitz things. And we had a competition with Chess24 where our hero, uh, Alexandra Botez, defeated their hero. And uh, so that was that was a highlight as well. Good huh. stuff there. <laughs> was this uh, was, our- was Hans Niemann playing the the chess twenty four role, or do you remember, do you recall who it was? Um, I don't. It wasn't Hans Niemann. I don't believe it was a, a younger film. Okay, interesting. And let's let's go a little deeper on Game Six because I mean, instant classic. Obviously, it's going to go in the annals of chess history. Um, so, were you working the booth when it was going on? What what was? Uh, how were you able to take that in? Uh, yeah, so I wasn't working the booth. Um, I was doing different things around the hall. But the good thing about chess is that it lasts a long time. So I was able to keep checking in on the game and keep an eye on the progress. Um, so some of it I watched from the playing hall. Some of it I saw from the commentary on chess.com. Some of it I heard from Fishy Anand's uh, commentary because it's it's right there. And some of it I saw from the press room. So I got in a lot of different pieces. But that that ongoing flow of just the constant equal fight and Magnus just getting a position which looked more and more visually like it was breaking through and, and watching those choices narrow for black until uh, he made a final misstep. It was it was just a wonderful thing to watch. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll certainly never forget it, even sitting at home. And for me, the first time control, the time pressure they were in, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we both play tournaments, so we've been in our own time pressure. And you, of course, see it watching classical chess, watching the uh, the heavyweights collide. But there was something about it being in the World Series, uh, I mean, uh, the World Championship, that it was basically one of the most heightened moments I ever remember watching as they rushed to make the first time control and the eval bar swung back and forth. So I'm curious, Sean, wh- what were the circumstances under which you watched that handful of moves? Uh, well, that I actually missed. Oh, so wow. I got to it uh, after it had pieced out and, and kind of become even again. And people were saying that both sides had winning chances. And I felt it was almost fair and almost fate that those moves that were made in such haste didn't decide the game. Um, but I did watch directly when they went made it to the final time control and only had 30 seconds. I was actually in the press room um, waiting for the press conference for when it was going to start, and they had the broadcast up there. So we were able to watch that. And even the people hired by the expo who had nothing to do with chess and were just there to like set up chairs and stuff were watching the screen and like uh, one of the guys instantly became a chess fan and uh, and said it was one of the most exciting things he'd seen. So that's always fun to see about chess. Yeah, as a as a former poker pro and poker fan, I had a similar sort of worlds collide moment just watching online when Doug Polk, very prominent uh, poker player and podcaster, tweets out like, stop what you're doing and turn on the World Chess Championship. I mean, uh, our friend of the pod, Jen Shahadi, has interviewed Doug. He is like a, a bit of a chess aficionado, you know, probably... Uh, rated over a thousand, but still, it's it's always nice when you have people who are never expressing an interest in chess publicly suddenly like, holy crap, look at this! Yeah, I feel like chess is on a new level. You know, everything after uh, Queen's Gambit and and the pandemic is it's just a different world. Um, and I've heard people say, oh, it's not quite as big as uh, you know Fisher Spassky, but if you think about it, that kind of required. Uh, a cold war to bring it to the forefront right right here this is just chess you know there's no politics bringing it up this is just a naked interest in the game 
Yeah, and obviously it's a different world in terms of like uh, people's d- attentions are so diffuse these days. There's so many different uh, media outlets and channels on TV and so forth that Fisher Spassky itself can never be replicated. But yeah, it's a good time to be a chess fan, good time to be a chess player. So, Sean, of course, I know Korbla and Mike Klein well, as do you. Listeners, whether they know them or not, if they heard our prior bonus pods, hopefully have a sense for for uh, Mike and, and John's both on engaging personalities. Um, do you have any stories of misadventures away from the work environment or is it uh, too, too much work, too much going on for you guys to, uh, to have much fun over there? Well, we've, we've gotten into a little trouble. Um, the first day I met Corbla, we actually uh, went on an adventure trying to make it to Ein Dubai. That's the, the giant Ferris wheel. It's larger than the um, London Eye. And we tried to walk there uh, without success. Um, and over several bridges and, and in the desert heat, it, that, that was pretty exciting. So. Nice. And I saw on a friend of the pod, Eric Rosen's um, socials, uh, it looked like he and, he and John played a one-minute game on one of those giant sets. Were you around for that? <laughs> no, I missed that. But I did see them play Blitz several times. We had a expat Thanksgiving in the hotel room. So um, that that was that was amazing to watch these guys uh, who are sort of consummate entertainers playing each other uh, in blitz in private. It was great. So was that? Do you know if that was recorded for our extreme for posterity, or is it uh, strictly uh, your tale to tell? It's my tale to tell, so I can tell it any way I want. <laughs> Excellent. Well, if John won some games, I think we'd be hearing about it, <laughs> knowing John. <laughs> well, he did, uh, so I'm surprised because modesty isn't usually one of his strong points that he yeah, didn't mention but- that. Yeah, but no, he got some really good scalps that night. Yeah, I'm not surprised. John is a, a blitz monster. And uh, yeah, in our first interview, he detailed um, his his sort of approach. I mean, he goes out of his way to play unsound openings that he probably knows better than his opponents, uh, puts them under pressure and, uh, you know, uh, talk some trash to go along with it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a potent combination. Um, so getting back to your own uh, traveling, Sean, so I, I gather you're going to be there for the duration of the match. Yeah, I'll be here the whole time. Um, and if the match ends early, then I'll just get more, um, you know, more vacation time. But yeah, I'm here for the duration. Yeah, as we record, I mean, it would have been unthinkable after the first five games to ask about if the match ends early. But and, you know, by the time people hear this, they'll know more than we do, um, being that two more games will have been played. But I was just going to ask what would happen uh, if it ends early. So no thoughts of uh, of. You could either, I guess, you could try to go home early or you could plan some sort of trip. I mean, is it too early to think about that sort of thing? Oh, I think uh, it's very likely that I would like head to Oman or something like that um, or, or pal around Dubai. There's, there's a lot of fun things uh, to do here. Um, so I, I can't imagine myself wanting to go home early. It's, it's cold back home. Uh, yeah. Where do you live when you're in the States? Oh, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. Oh, excellent, man. Charlotte just has such a chess scene. It's amazing. So yeah, shout out yeah. to uh, Peter Giannatos and Mike Klein lives there when he's not globetrotting as well. So uh, must be fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the the Charlotte Chess Club is great. Yeah, just just amazing work they're doing there. Um, well, Sean, this, this has been a lot of fun. Anything you would like to add? Any stories you would like to share before we uh, wrap this up? Uh, well, maybe this is a, a sort of personal thing, but uh, it's neat to be talking to you uh, because for so long you've been talking to me. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, I get that a lot. And I certainly as as an avid podcast consumer, you know, I, I, I totally get how that feeling could be. Um, you know, when I interviewed James Altucher, whose podcast I enjoyed and Joe Posnanski, the sports writer, it, it's it's a surreal feeling when the people are responding all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you've gotten me through a couple road trips. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. I hope to do more in the future and you can even listen to yourself. And if it's anything like when I listen to myself, you might be mildly tortured. But trust me, Sean, people will enjoy it. (laughs) That's good to hear. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us, Sean. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the match. And uh, yeah, maybe we can catch up at uh, 2023. I heard a rumor the next world championship will not be in the even numbered years, possibly not till 2023. Or maybe I'll even see you there. You never know. You got it. All right. I'll see you in two years.
Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.